Welcome to Eject Rejects. We are your rejects. I'm Ian. I'm Forrest. And I'm Jacob. And today we're going to be continuing part two of our uh, two-parter 80s nostalgia September appreciation month, if you will. Um, this time we're talking about Final Girls. Also came out in 2015. And I'm going to kick it on over to Senor Forrest. Hola. Como esta bien? Burrito chito. No comprendo. The director of this film (laughs) was Todd Strauss Schulzen. This gentleman hasn't done a whole lot of recent films, um, but he is known for a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Um, I I such accolades. It's the weakest one of the Harold and Kumar trilogy. No, it's not. That's the one with um, the the singing magic boy. Neil Patrick Harris. When he's he, in all of them. No, he's in when, all of them. No, no. Yeah. Let me finish my brand. <laughs> <laughs> when he does the uh, musical number, I still think it's the weakest of the three. You're the weak. False. Fal- I am not the weakest of us Ooh, three. False. I lift heavy things at my job all day, so every day. I. I lift dogs all the time. Those woofers, man. Subwoofer. I'm, I'm I'm flexing right now. If you guys can't tell. I lift roofing fucking material. Anyway, anyway. I lift woofers because I'm a vet tech. Woofing material. This is why we need video cameras, just so you guys can see the the, the antics that were taking place between these two. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I don't have enough bourbon for this. So check out our Patreon to maybe support us a little bit. Shameless plug, folks. This film... Um, the synopsis giving a little more meat and potatoes to this dude. Bones. That's a funny way to say meat and bones. <laughs> You're a funny looking turd. You know that? I would hope so. I'm a human. <laughs> Deuterostome, asshole born first. <laughs> this <you>. film. <laughs> oh, man. This is. This film. Oh, someone else do this. Okay, so <laughs> so if we could consider Turbo Kid as a homage to the post-apocalyptic sci-fi kind of film, Road Warrior, you know, S kind of film, um, I would consider Final Girls to be well. So Forrest, let me backtrack here. Forrest would say that this is a love letter to eighty slasher films. I vehemently disagree. This is a love letter to Friday the 13th mixed in with Meta the movie. Ian, Would you, you like have to respond? fallen for my trap. You have activated my trap guard. Dating yourself. Man, this, that's our origins. Don't be ashamed of it. That was always a Pokemon guy. Anyway, I'll send you to the shadow storm. dimension realm. Ah, oh, shit, really? Exodia. I, I think it was the shadow. It was the shadow realm. Yu-Gi-Oh! Woo! So, this film is a nostalgia tribute, homage, love letter to slashers in general. And I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to fucking ream you up the butthole. The cast in this was fantastic, and it is a fairly big cast going against what typical 80s slasher movies like to do, where they have smaller casts, and they usually film in order, so when people get killed off, they can literally kick them off set so they can pay them less. This film had a very large cast, and a lot of these were pretty great A people because the budget was 4.5 mil. Pretty freaking good for a straight-to-video Sundance film. Mm-hmm. So the the main cast, and I'm going to trot off the, the main peeps, Tasia uh, Farmiga as Max Carthart. She's also from American Horror Story. That is our main gal. Her mother also playing the twinge of her mom in the film that her mom was famous for as an actress is uh, Maylene Ackerman playing Nancy in the the film that we're going to talk about in just a few seconds here and also her Max's actual mother Amanda Cartwright. Alexander Ludwig coming in as Chris Briggs funny enough a year beforehand he was also in a movie called Final Girl. I saw that (laughs) yeah I saw that it was it's with it's terrible. Is it it, that's is that a horror movie too? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, weird. Uh, Nina Dobra as Vicky. Um, we have Thomas Middlevich as Duncan. Adam Devine as Kurt. A lot of you guys will know him from Pitch Perfect or um, Workaholics. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing uh, comedic actor. He definitely shows his chops here. 
this film is about a individual, Max. She is grieving over the recent loss of her mother, an actress who was a main star in one of the, in this world, an 80s campground slasher flick. One of the, the best in, in its genre, Camp Bloodbath. After dealing with her mom's death, she is then convinced by one of our characters to be on one of the panels for the double feature that we'll be playing at a local movie theater. It's three years later, right? Mm -hmm. Three years to the... It was like the anniversary of her mom's death. Yeah, Yeah. I think it was either one or two. It was a short period of time. And then it does something very drastic. It takes these, these sets of characters that we get to know and transports them into the movie that Max is not so happy to watch because it reminds her of her mother. Yeah, she's she still PTSD, grieving. basically. Exactly. So it takes this last action hero kind of concept where you don't see a whole lot of where the characters get transported into a film and it gets very meta. It plays with the concept of a film and also plays with the concept of camp slashers. Where I'm about to come back around the corner and snake in on Ian here. <laughs> this is a homage to slashers in general. He believes it's more of a slasher homage to Friday the 13th. Yes and no. The biggest, most well-known camp slashers is Friday the 13th. Ian, where do you think the homages come from? I'm going to put you on the spot. So I would like to leave the majority of that stuff in the spoiler section because then it will otherwise ruin the plot for our worthy listeners but in short i'm just going to say that all of the story beats all of the plot beats minus the metal elements is basically friday the 13th in in a lot of regards i would agree um i so i i actually i'm with forrest on this one okay that's i just think the friday the 13th references or homages are the most apparent Yes. Those are the ones you're going to pick up on and the I would easiest agree with that. because that is the most recognizable one of all of the homages they do in the film. But I definitely noticed other ones as well. But those, are, but the Friday the Thirteenth ones are absolutely the easiest ones to pick up on. But honestly, that's the low hanging fruit there, so it's easy yeah. to see. Well, the only other thing I'll say about that, and we can get more into it on spoilers, is is I noticed that you did something there for us. Did you start off by saying that this is a homage to slasher films, and then you changed it to camp slasher films? So. We can dig more into that later, um, but it seems like we're being more narrow on the subgenre here, which kind of proves my thesis a little bit more. And, and just fair just enough. fair warning, I didn't hate this film. I just think that it needs to be categorized accurately, and I don't think it's categorized accurately when you refer to it as a slasher homage film. Really? Okay. We'll, but we'll, we'll leave it we'll at leave that. It there, yeah, then. We'll leave it there for now. Um, with that being said, though, so... Some of the things that I think that I can talk about right now without us ruining a lot of stuff before a commercial break is, you know, this is for said that this movie's very meta. Very meta. Yeah, th- this this is meta the movie. This is Camp Slasher, Friday the 13th, whatever you want to uh, categorize it. It's, it's, it's like 50% that, or maybe 40%, I'd say, and then 60% tongue-in-cheek, you know, rubbing your nose with your finger <laughs> um, meta, where it's a lot, it does a lot of interesting stuff in reference to, like, oh, we're in a movie, we need to play by the movie's rules. I'll get a little bit more into that later, because I had a couple issues with that, but um, at the at the service level, it was a very interesting concept, kind of like, like that Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero does it different, in my opinion, than this yeah. film. Last Action Hero plays through the movie. This one is, we know we're in a movie, and therefore we're going to play within the rules of that it's movie. It's the only thing I was able to really No, no and I with. thought that was a really good comparison. Um, different, but similar concept, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, Performance-wise... I mean, Malin Ackerman, I actually like Malin Ackerman a fair bit as an actress. Um, I think that she's you know an interesting actress, and she's played some very interesting roles over the years. I thought that she did very good in this movie. Um, all of the other actors and actresses were kind of, and this is not a diss by any means, but they were essentially nobodies. They were not people that you see in the big-budget films or something like that, probably well-known to certain people. I mean, obviously, I recognized um, Thomas Middlevich and then Adam Devine, but I'm not a big fan of them, so I have not watched as much about their stuff. So... Take that for what they you were know. body counts, and I think they specifically state that in the movie. Yeah, we're just body counts for the killer. Yeah, exactly. Um, just going back to the budget a little bit. So when 
like genuine question when when films like this go straight to the um film festivals and whatnot they don't the, the films don't make money at the festivals correct it's it's more of like press for the films to then be bought later correct see i don't know i believe there is in certain rights probably like allegations like reward money i think okay but yeah it, it is definitely f- it it's showing off your your goods and hopefully people that are going to be at these festivals notice it and that happens a hell of a lot so be, i <clears throat> i only ask that because I, I looked on multiple sites and the only the only info I could find for it making money is that it made uh, $1.3 million through domestic Blu-ray and mm-hmm. DVD sales. That's all I could find. So I was just wondering if maybe there was something I was missing. Like maybe if they made, a, did they make more money at the festivals? And I'm wondering if this film went abroad and if it, yeah. if it made any money abroad. It, I, all I could find was the domestic money that it made. And, I mean, this film could have been bought and then distributed so not to say that the domestic sales are going straight to the people that made this right it might have been bought and they got that that flat amount of money and then the people whoever they bought it to distribute it are then making the sales money i'm just I, yeah that, I'm that just would be because, my assumption because if this is all this movie made i think it's crock shit <laughs> well it's <laughs> I, it's mo- an indie film so it's I really know, hard to judge it on its amount but better judged on its flat base budget i just sure. i'm just saying it deserved to make a lot yeah. more if this is all it made if 1.3 million is all it made i think that's and just like turbo yeah. kid yeah yeah right yeah exactly and, and that's something i was going to add on as well is you know this kind of furthers what i was saying when we did the turbo kid episode too is you know these are the kind of movies you know regardless of my issues i have with with um final girls i definitely think it needs deserves more accolades and more films like this need to be made just like turbo kid and it's just interesting that you can't really figure out how successful it was because it doesn't follow in the typical mold mm-hmm. that you expect. And this is me going beyond the episode. This is me just kind of musing on the film industry in general, but it's topical. Um, those of you who are listening in the future, we record this in the middle of the wonderful pandemic of 2020 and everything. And um, from a theater standpoint, it's causing a huge amount of problems because all of the theaters are shut down and all of these, all of Hollywood right now, they're trying to figure out what the fuck to do with all of these movies and they're putting out on streaming service platforms and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, like Mulan, it's coming out on Disney Plus soon in a little bit and so on and so forth. You know, Onward came out, blah, blah, Disney fan, sorry. The point is, is because of that, I'm really curious to see how they're going to categorize these movies as successes because as mm-hmm. we know, Hollywood is interested about making the big bucks and it's going to be more difficult to track that. And I'm really curious how that's going to shape out the film industry as a whole. And going back to Final Girls on Turbo Kid, this, the one benefit I feel that has existed about the pandemic has been the fact that so many of these films, I think, are getting more of a limelight because everyone's fucking stuck at home and they're like, well, I got 18 hours to waste yep. today. What am I going to sit down and watch? Oh, here's this weird movie I never would watch normally because yep. I only pay attention to the commercials. Kind of an odd silver yeah. lining, but kind of neat. Well, anyway, and, and they've and these festivals, I, I've only heard of a couple, so I can't say that they're all doing it. But like, I know like a, a Portland film festival that I heard about. Sure, they were doing a, um, it, they were streaming it, so mm-hmm. they they people got invited to watch a stream of the Portland film festival. Oh yeah. So there's there's little weird workarounds they're doing, but. It, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of heartwarming it's kind the of a, way that people have been figuring out ways, like e-concerts are a thing now too, it, and yeah, all that. It's so, just a, it's yeah. a hard time to be any type of media creator at the very moment. Exactly. But, Enough about that, though. But go watch this movie if you're just stuck at home and have nothing to do. Yeah, please do. Okay, we'll be back after this commercial break. Boy. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us back for part two. Um, if you haven't watched uh, the film yet and you would like to, uh, don't listen to this part because this is the spoiler section. So please go watch it and then come back. I will now kick it over to Sir Forrest. Spoilers, the butler did it. Tim Curry comes out. You've of made nowhere. that joke. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's funny. You know what other joke you guys keep making that's not funny? Meeting motherfucking bones. Well, we just try and cut to the core of this issue. Like we we go, we surpass just potatoes. We eat the meat and then we suck the marrow out. Of the bones. We're just making full use of the whole thing. Nothing goes to waste. And then we use the bone as a weapon to kill our enemies. It was a bunch of shit. Good take thing a bunch not of a bones fan and around you know, the shit would hit that fan. Well, we're just like a bunch of monkeys knocking bones together for forty-five minutes. <laughs> Is leads that an to, actual saying? I've, leads I've never leads heard to that. leads to terrible. a famous famous film. Really? 
over my 2001 head. The Space Odyssey, dude. Oh, oh fuck. Oh, you suck. Get oh, out of my house. man. <laughs> Get out. The episode is over. <laughs> Sorry, Ian, but I can't let you leave. Oh, well, that was good. <laughs> that was good. This episode's coming completely off the rails. I love it. Just like these movies. These movies definitely had its designed rails, and I think both of them kind of went a little bonkers to their yeah, no, I benefits, can, I can, I can for sure. That. I mean, yeah. that's them being 80s movies to the cores, or at least homage movies. So I want to talk a little bit about slashers in general. It's one of my favorite subgenres, and it's actually stated as one of the most um, long-running and most popular subgenres in all of movies. I could agree with that. It sure. has three distinct um, classical ages to it, or three distinct cycles. Um, it's considered that the, the golden era being 78 to 84, but they actually discern the classical age of slashers being from 74 to 93, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And then they, they have the self-referential slashers being from 94 to 2000, so something like Scream. A lot of yes. these movies mm-hmm. that started making fun or being much more subversed of the, the slasher genre because they were getting pretty formulaic, so they had mm-hmm. to switch it up. And then it goes into the, the neo-slashers being from 2000s to 2013. Like Hush. Exactly, yeah. where they, they be much more, I, I think, a combination of the the first two genres and making it their own, where they realize that the the predecessors of them are are classic but flawed in a lot of ways. I appreciated that. So that, that I actually thank you for explaining that because I mean I love that question. I, I would agree with that um, in, in many ways. And something I would add on to that as well is the original slashers. Forced is correct. They get pretty formulaic. I mean, that was also the era of the a billion remakes. I mean, everyone knows that there's 80,000 oh Friday 13th Halloweens and, and Nightmare Quantity over quality at that point. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just, you know, what works, and then let's just do it over and over again. And you got Scream where you're trying to do something where you're being, I'm going to label it as subversive. Yeah. Okay. No, you've got totally that subversive agree. element, and then you've also got the new wave horror films that came out during the time, you know, Ring and Grudge and all that crap. Um, and then the new stuff is, I would label that as being clever. Like Hush is a great example of it. We've talked about Hush plenty. Is, is, you're, is you're not being subversive. You're taking that formula, but you're being clever with it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And Final Girls falls in that category for me. It's clever. Oh, yeah. I, I, I agree. Unique is the word I would use for yeah. this film. And for me, it is a slasher, but it is not your typical slasher. The biggest ding in this film is it's PG-13. And it was originally mm-hmm. warranted that the, the director, Todd, wanted to do a R-rated film. Unlike Turbo Kid, where it was a hard R for sure, mm-hmm. this pulled a lot of his punches in a lot of degrees. It worked a lot of them, it did not. It was very obvious. But for me, in the slasher genre, it is about the stylistic kills and how these people are dispatched. So trying to make a a tribute to slashers being in a PG-13 genre, it is really difficult because it comes off more as a comedy rather than a tribute in both halves. That's where this film really failed for me. But going back to what we were discussing earlier about the tribute that this has for the the genre of slashers, in particular the, the camp slashers, Friday the 13th is the most well-known. Mm-hmm. It is not the most defining in this film. This film has a lot of nods to one of my favorites, The Burning. The Burning was a film that um, came out right before part two, Friday the 13th. So it is technically the first um, camp slasher with a masked killer. Uh, It came out like six months beforehand. So really, if you wanted to be... They would have been done at the same time. So exactly, they were filming. So really what came first doesn't matter. But they, they, they both were influential. This film's main killer, um, he was ripped right from the burning. In the burning, our main killer was basically burned and taunted by the camp counselors. In this film, it has a direct homage of how this killer was formed, both in the same direct ways. And then in Friday the 13th, it has a lot of its homage of the masked killer, 
um, being going around with a machete and tomahawk and things like that. It's very Friday the 13th-esque, but this film was not a Friday the 13th homage. This film was a homage towards the love of slashers. It is hard for a film to really base in multiple lanes when it's trying to imitate the slashers that were known for being in one particular location because it was cheap to film in one particular location. So I have a whole list of films that were literally slashers that were camp slashers. These films really came from the, the, the roots of stylistic kills. And it came from the the idea of who deserves it most. Well, the, the innocent or the the flamboyant or the the promiscuous. And I really liked that this film touched a lot of the tropes, but introduced this this meta aspect that took us out of that intentional and almost steeped tar pit that the 80s slashers really kind of fall into. So I'm not going to keep on being the dead horse over on this is because, you know, I'm, I, I'm, all I'm going to say is I maintain that this is not a, this is not a slasher homage film. This is a camp slasher homage film. Okay. That's where I'm going to go through because to me, slasher films encompass other things like, um, Oh my God, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, yeah, I agree. you know, I mean, you could even go down to, oh man, I'm just freaking other ones now off the top of my head as well that are, they're big fans. The, the point is, is basically everything you said for us to me kind of proves my thesis. I'm going to modify it by saying this is not, I can agree, this is not a Friday the 13th homage. This is a camp slasher homage. Friday the 13th just takes that formula that we've been talking about mm-hmm. during this era and it's just kind of more or less copy pasted all these films, and therefore this film is also in a lot of ways copy pasted. I know Friday the Thirteenth the most, yeah. so I'm not as big of a slasher film buff as Forrest is. I'm more of the sci-fi nerd kind of group part on that. I mean, I've made jokes about me. I, if it's got the term robot in it, I probably know it. You know, so so this is not as much of my wheelhouse. So therefore, I don't know all of these films that Forrest is talking to. That's just what spoke out to me the most. So I'm just going to leave it at enough. that. This this film, however you take it, it knows what it wants to be. Yeah, I I I think whatever whatever it does, pay homage to, and you know, agree and disagree, whatever. I I think it I think it does do it well. But I'm I'm on board with your. I think it would have served better with an R rating, and that's probably that's also my biggest problem with it yeah. and you know i'm kind of i'm reiterating what you said but if they're gonna go for it then you need to go for it like that's mm-hmm. despite all the mm-hmm. flaws of turbo kid that's something you have to respect about it is turbo kid just went for it yeah they I went agree. they they turned they they turned the knob to 11 kind of thing like they just fucking went for it spinal tap reference um <laughs> um but it 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 what it does do, it does well, but I feel like it could have. There could have been more done. They could have done some really fucking cool kills. They could have done, and they could have done even more homages. They could have homaged some kills from really popular, some really popular slashers. And and they did. They just didn't have the backing of the blood and guts. They had to shy away, turn away, if not stop at certain scenes, to earn themselves a PG thirteen. A lot of rights. They kind of press that border a little too hard i'm surprised they got a pg-13 but I, I if just, they would have gotten that r i think that's exactly what they would have done i just think like regardless of that it still kind of does a little bit of a disservice to the film that oh, it, it didn't does. that it didn't do all that i still i still think it's a great movie mm-hmm. but i think that that definitely could have been it could have served better with an r rating for sure no, and, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, and this again ties in with Force's wonderful synopsis of these kind of films that this film is basically paying homage to is the artful kill, right? The the gratuity in many ways, right? And there's not one titty, no. and there's not any major <laughs> amounts of blood in this film. And like, I'm I'm not trying to sound like a creeper. I'm I'm actually like as critical as I can say the word titty is. You know, I'm I'm trying to be as critical as possible because that's a part of this genre. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's the whole you know the the girl who has sex who gets laid you know it's it's got all that stuff in there, but they don't do anything with it, and so m- this was kind of my overall issue with the film is you're paying homage to the slasher or the camp slasher if you will, but then you don't really 
yank the dial off on mm-hmm. turn up to 11. So then the other part of that is, okay, so you're going to play the meta part as they're playing in the movie, and we're going to play around with the concept in the movie and play with the movie rules. And that was ultimately my overall disappointment with this this film is this film was very much kind of, in some ways it's almost like your child's roller coaster reference jacob for me mm-hmm. is 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 they kept on going like like they kept on going up with something and then they did it a little bit and they didn't do it in other ways and, and like my biggest one is all of the characters or the, the the characters that matter, mm-hmm. the plot armor characters, mm-hmm. they figure out they're in a movie, the actual movie characters, and then our main characters who are from the real world transport in, they figure out they're a movie, and then they use that to their advantage against uh, Billy, who is the name of our masked murderer evil guy in this in this character, in this movie. But then the entire time, at no point did Billy realize that he was in a movie, even though he reacts to stuff when they use the movie against him or they play by movie rules. And that really disappointed me because I thought it would have been really cool is if they take that and then the bad guy, Billy, uses the movie against them. And he therefore becomes an actual villain because to me, there was no real villain in this movie. Billy was a very poor villain. And that was disappointing to me. I thought it would have been great if Billy, like, oh, this is the rules we have to play by. We're going to expect this. And then he's like, guess what, bitch? I did this instead. Surprise. You know, like they didn't do anything like that. And that was honestly kind of disappointing for me. Um, and I think that was really my biggest gripe with the film. And with Billy being that, that main bad, I think they tried to go for your typical, like the shape, um, Michael Myers, where he was just an entity of evil. He had really nothing on his brain but killing. And I, I think it was more of a homage to those type of um, killers where you don't understand their, their their backing and why they're doing this. They're just doing it because... They have no real. Do it. They yeah. have no real motive. Exactly. It's just so kill. yes, he was more of a plot device than an actual character. And I think if they went very meta with the villain as well, it would have changed the tone. So maybe you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it plays more into that camp style slashers because the camp style slashers, all the slashers were really shape. They were going after the teenagers because they were easy prey. In this regards, if I think they were going off of the more meta-style slashers like Scream, it would have changed the whole stylistic point of the film. And I think that would have been a separate film in itself. Mm-hmm. So I can agree with you, but for me, where I really pull... The, this film is probably in my top 15. It was very difficult when we were doing oh, our wow. top 10 films that I was not able to eke this in same with death race 2000 that's another one of my favorite films that i was had a hard time eking that in Mm, it's a great film it's 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 roger corman it's offensive but it's wonderful yeah it's great Mm -hmm. and final girls it has so much heart to it that any time i see i feel these characters i feel the main two characters nancy and max cartwright when these two characters are talking it is max's character talking to a character in a movie but also talking to this person that is the visage of her mom that passed away in real life it is hard for her and when they finally have the scene where max says you were my mom they they share this this look where they don't know what to say but it's emotional everything around you is now turned into dark neon lights with the the sky flashing and dark reds and purples and it really just grabs you and it allows me to put to the side the lack of blood and violence because this film really knew it where its center was and center where these characters that you thought were pretty flat based turn into something just outstanding like i this is going to be another film where i gush over because this film is very close to me because it represents all that i love in slashers minus the gore and once again that's i think a lot of our biggest gripes on it right um something you know i named i named the bad stuff i don't care for but um kind of going back into the emotional side of it forest um i think this movie makes really good use of the music that it does mm-hmm. so we're we're introduced to the song that bonds the mother and the daughter betty together. davis eyes yep, betty davis eyes and d- the way they did it just makes the use of it all that more effective they they they're bonding over it in the car they're both singing and dancing to it and then 
car flips, mom dies, and they don't. I, d- I believe they don't use it again until the end of the yeah. film. They reference it many times, but right. at the very end, they then show it again, and it's emotional gravitas. It's during, yep, it's it just during, centers it, you. It takes it takes it amplifies the emotional aspect of it by a lot. Even like in a movie, you weren't expecting it either. It kind of just right hooks you because you. I, I feel like up and like I feel like it right hooks you with that emotional standpoint from of it. And the music just turns it up to eleven again. Like they made good use of the one song. They they used it perfectly, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, I did like they they did a couple things that again were clever. I wish they'd just taken a little bit further. Like again, like playing around with the idea of the movie, right? Like they 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 figure out that they can trigger trigger the flashback scene in the film by starting to talk about the the history of Billy. It's like, quick, he's coming. Use the flashback scene to confuse him. And it's like you know, Billy was eighteen years old or whatever it was. And then yeah. it goes you know, it goes black and white and everything. And like, okay, that that was cool, you know. And at the very beginning, when they're figuring out that they're in the film, and then they're like, they see the opening part of the movie and then they're like what the hell is this and then it goes 97 minutes later and then it's like oh they've watched they've gone through the entire mm-hmm. movie um and then it starts over again like they say that they they, they they again they had that stuff that was interesting but in reference of actually resolving the overall story or or, or doing something to help with character development like i've said many times in the show and i'm not going to stop because it's just so important to me you got to have some sort of interesting character or whether it's a bad guy, good guy, whatever to hook me. And, and all of these characters were just kind of flat and everything. And it was like, they were all just vehicles to tell the story, which I understand is the premise of camp slasher films. These are just warm bodies for us to get to watching the murder, but because the murder wasn't enough and Again, continuing on with me sounding like a horrible sexist, and I'm not. There was not one titty in this film or anything. The exploitation like, yeah, of this was exactly lacking. the exploitation. Like you, you didn't have those aspects in it that are very clear for this type hey, of hey, genre. Aspects. Yeah, aspects. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're lacking that, and then you also don't have these super strong characters. The only one I'd say, with the exception, is Malin Ackerman's character, just because I think Malin Ackerman is a good actress and she sold the role. Um, but like the main character, she was just like. I think she Sad. did terrific. Uh, I think she did she a was terrific a little, job. I, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I think her character development was a little low. Like, she was basically sad girl from the beginning and sad girl at the end. Like, I'm not dissing on the fact that that character would be that sad in real life because she lost her mom and now she has to deal with the fake carbon copy of her mom in the movie film. Like, I get that. But again, from a movie standpoint, it would have been nice if there had been a little bit more character development with her and they really didn't do much with that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm gonna disagree with that. that. That's fine. Because that's fine. They they show they show it from from the get go, and they 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 make hints at it. But she's she's overly obsessed with the fact that 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 is her mom, but it's not her mom. And the big pop off final at the end, where her where it does show character development, is that she's allowing herself to let her go. She's allowing the person who, you know, she lost her mom all of a sudden, and now she has this chance to, quote, quote, get her mom back. She's trying to convince her all the way up and, you know, all the way up until before she dies to come back with her. And you can you can start over. You can go to school. She's doing all this. But she makes the tough decision because, you know, you, we can say it all we want. We can say <clears throat> we can say that, oh, yeah, no, if I was there, I wouldn't. No, I honestly, the human, we're all human. And if that happened to us, we would try to bring our mother back with us too. But oh, she, sure, but sure. her character development was that she made the tough decision to let her mom go. She got whatever little um, resolution she needed, um, and she made the tough decision. Max made a very strong decision, and she stuck with it. So I think Max, while probably one of the very few characters who had actual development, she had a full character development throughout the movie, and I, I will hold on to that. Okay, and that's fine. I mean, I might have missed some of it. You know, I might have tuned out a little bit in that specific scene or something. Like, I, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that I might be wrong about. My interpretation is it wasn't as interesting to me, but it might have, the character just might have not connected with me. I mean, as we've all known in this, you know, we have movies that I love and we have movies that you guys love, Robot Trucks, and, <laughs> you know... Fuck that, you, That's no. the thing that's great about film is one person can think one thing and another person can think something completely different about the same film. I agree. And maybe it's the side characters. There's a lot of side characters in this mm-hmm. film. There's a lot. And it doesn't feel like it 
drowns in side characters because they get dispatched very easily and a lot of these side characters are very bright and colorful and they have great um, comedic lines a lot of this film had improvised moments and these improvised moments were great and typically improvised moments you can either tell right off the bat and they're really crappy or it it, it helps the film and I think this film had such great cast and characters that this improvised scenes and a lot of these scenes were very much so improvised especially by um, Adam Devine it was very natural and wonderful to behold but these characters were still very one-dimensional that the secondary cast at least because in a few lines these secondary casts are almost devices for us to tell the main character you know what realize that this person is not your mom and we need to focus on us like they're their stories one of her ex-friends that kind of gets roped into this the, the the pretty hot girl she basically says i'm the pretty hot girl that's going to die in the third act of the of the film and you know what i'm I, I realize that and she that was pretty much her character development and there was a scene where she was blushing out her heart to her other main characters and right off the bat i knew next scene she's gonna die well, her she arc a, is done well it's because she she's, was a mean girl too yeah and she's given her exposition she literally says i'm gonna die and this film could have taken the meta and maybe given her a little more purpose in the final act but they don't they literally just acknowledge yeah you said you're gonna die and you know what now we're going to kill you mm-hmm. and it sucked and another um character that i really liked but he wasn't much of a vehicle he was more of a direction for our main character was the 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 main guy character um the love interest the love interest kind of chris briggs played by um alexander ludwig he was kind of interesting where he was this big old meathead but he wasn't he was a sweetheart he was very intelligent and he said a few lines that were like oh that's really fucking clever but he had no character development he was there to tell our main character this is not your mom we need to focus on us kind of thing you're having some sort of attachment towards someone that is not literally real these characters were sideline cheerleaders for our main character in which a lot of slashers do that but if you're trying to be meta in a lot of ways this film does the side characters feel like were you trying to make a point because they didn't really make it yeah um i think it would have been okay if the if the characters that they went in and like when they went into the movie and the characters that were actually within the movie, within the movie, (laughs) um, if they were one dimensional, I feel like that would have been perfectly fine because you know, they're, they're disposable eighties slasher kids. Like they, they could have been one dimensional. A lot of characters from the main movie, the, the movie that they get transported into, were very one-dimensional. They even make a line saying, wow, the writing's really bad. Mm-hmm. And they, so if they had just, so if they had fleshed out a little bit of the actual characters that go into it, then maybe that would have been fine. But maybe, maybe them being in that movie caused them to just turn into one-dimensional <laughs> characters. Like maybe they would have had a story had they not oh, been thrusted into the, into the screen. Yeah. So um, one other thing I want to talk about too that, that I thought was kind of fun with the film, I, I did kind of see it coming about thirty seconds or so before it happened, um, but that didn't make me appreciate it any less was the ending, the twist ending, and I yep. I knew there was going to be a twist ending, is because it's it's a homage eighties you know camp slasher film like there's always a twist ending in horror films, so I was I was waiting for it, and uh, basically the twist ending is they resolve the movie by killing Billy, defeating him. And then they think as a result, they're now going to get out of the movie and go back to the real world. And uh, they wake up and hospital beds, all of the characters, including all of the main characters that were from the real world that were killed. And they're now in the beginning of the second film in the double feature. And then Billy breaks through the glass doors with his, with his knife. And then they're like, let's get this bitch. And then that's how the movie ends. And I thought that was fun. Like and it plays cruel I was like, summer. Hey. Oh. Yeah, no, that was that was that was a fun ending. It was a good you know, ending. It wasn't like the most original or anything, but it didn't need to be. It was fun. It was so a I good have stinger. To, I, have to, I have to give kudos for that. It was a really good stinger and made you made me leave the movie being like, oh, that was nice. You know, that was nice. Yeah. Sure. Um, I want to talk about some of the scenes that I really liked. Okay. So there are multiple scenes in this that really stick with me. There's one scene in particular that is probably one of my favorite 
there's two scenes in here that are probably some of my favorite scenes in cinema, period. My wow. all-time favorite favorite always goes to the scene in Evil Dead 2 where Ash is looking for a chainsaw and a deadite appears behind him with said chainsaw and it's him in this small little tight room battling with a really bad puppet and actual chainsaw. That is one of my favorite scenes of all time. I love it. It's stupid. It's crazy. There are two scenes in here that I really, really love. One in particular is when they finally realize that they need to go about a different way in battling Billy. Their initial thought when they get stuck in this movie is they stick with the final girl of the original movie. She gets dispatched pretty quickly in a very funny way. And now they realize, crap, this is no longer the film that we were originally watching. It, it has been rewritten, so now we need to take advantage of the rules set in this movie, meta-style, and tell the, the characters that are with us they're actually in a movie and take the fight to our, our masked villain, knowing the limitations and rules of the movie set by these characters and by the writing. They set a trap for... Billy in a very stylistic way. They have an amazing camera sequence where the camera is twisting and moving about. And it's very stylistic. Unfortunately, it's missing missing the stylistic boobies and the stylistic gore. But it has our main Titty. <laughs> character where she's basically the sleut. She's all all in on the action between the legs, the the lips between the hips. That is literally her character. And they tie her down and basically put mitts on her in a giant um, floaty device so she can't touch anything and she's just stupid and adorable and I love her and she accidentally gets into a bottle of Adderall and she gets cracked out in the best way possible and the scene is actually improvised where they say okay you are going to attract Billy by doing a strip tease so he can fall into the house trap they chalked her the actress they chalked her up on energy drinks and five hour energies and basically said get into the character and go and she does this amazing strip tease all bound up and cherry pie warrant and it is oh that's what it was because i for some uh, reason just my my mind immediately thought that it was pour some sugar on me by the oh, that would have been another good one just as good i don't know and it was it was so hilarious and funny and i would have appreciated the boobies at the end but there wasn't, <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> Another scene is the very end where they have the final showdown with Billy. It's glorious, and they go like full ham hock where they're flying around, and physics no longer matters. Billy's kicking her, and she's flying like 10 feet back, and she's jumping 10 feet in the air and chopping at him, and it gets full-blown silly goofy 80 slasher style. Minus the gore, but those those two scenes are definitely my favorite in this film. I I like when they going back to the meta thing. I I, I enjoy those as well. But I think my favorite like meta moment is I love that when they are self aware that they are in slow motion. Oh uh, yeah, that one was funny. That that I think that had me just dying because I'm like, oh, imagine. Like imagine that that's all the more terrifying because you're trying to get away from someone. You're like, I can only move so fast. Like, ah, uh, that was probably of all of the moments where the movie was super meta. I think that one is my favorite because that's just that. that wow, was so it's good. done perfectly, and it hits you with perfect comedic timing because you're watching the film like, okay, it's slow motion, and then you realize, wait a minute, this is slow motion for them too, and it's great. It's it's a good balance that once again needed to be offset with more spurts of arteries and corn syrup. Yeah. All right. Well, getting into the recommendation section, I think we're going to start... We'll start with Forrest. Yes. This is one of my favorite films of all time, and it's pretty new. This film was um, right up there with... uh, um, Turbo Kid when it was in its release for Sundance and it was right up there with there with uh, Bone Tomahawk too I, I think Bone Tomahawk was one of the films that was in there that were in the circuits of um, the Sundance uh, film festivals and 
when I heard about this, I watched all three films as soon as they were released, and I loved all three of them. Obviously, two are much more similar than the other. And Final Girls comes away to me as a superior film because it probably hits what I look for in a film a little better than Turbo Kid has great references. Like in the very beginning scene when uh, Max is looking at the resume of her mom, it says that she starred in a few films that Ian and I actually like. It actually said that she starred in the film Chopping Mall, which is an amazing um, uh, 80s uh, slasher flick. And she also starred in Sleigh Bells. It's, it has a lot of slight nods and goofs and humor and visuals and meta cleverness that I I just can't stop thinking about. Yes, please. Give me this film. Nom, 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 nom. So I think at the end of the day, I am going to recommend this film. Um, I, I, I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I definitely think it is not as good of a representation of a nostalgia flick compared to um, Turbo Kid. Um, but at the end of the day, I can say that this was, you know, it was, it was worth a watch. It had its fun moments. This is, I, I will admit this is a lukewarm recommendation, but at least that's the temperature of a Tauntaun. Nah, I was going to make hey, that joke. I you know you so were. That's, that's why I'm like, I got to slip that in there before George Force jumps on it. Good Lord. <laughs> um, yes, this, this is an absolute recommend for me. Um, I think I still think Turbo Kid for me personally is more of my speed, um, but I still I you know I bought this movie like it's it's on its way to me as we speak, um, but the I watched a lot of behind the scenes stuff on it and this just looked like a fun set to be on like the the cast looked like it had a blast and that shows in this movie. Same with Turbo Kid. Mm-hmm. Oh oh absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely um, but. Go go watch this one. Tur- I would recommend Turbo Kid and and Final Girls. Go watch them both back to back if you yeah, get the chance. To make a good double feature, just like we did. Definitely. Yeah. And I wanted to make a slight reference here. So, um, in Turbo Kid, we mentioned that Final Girls is free on Amazon. I was incorrect. Unfortunately, it is not. But it is pretty easy to find on DVD or Blu-ray. So it is accessible. It was kind of released straight to video. So. You can Still rent out there. it. You can rent it on Prime for like four bucks, but yeah, if you, it's not free like Turbo Kid. Yeah, so. it's not free with Prime. Turbo Kid is free with Prime. Uh, Final Girls is you'll have to shell out a little bit of moolah. Yeah, not a free double feature, unfortunately. You have to go without your Starbucks the next day, maybe. <gasps> oh no! My triple mocha frappa latte. <laughs> One pump caramel, please. My pumpkin spice latte. Our oh, white no. girls are showing. So, hey. scene rejects for today. Ah, your humble narrator, director, Forrest Star Duncan. <laughs> the, scene, <laughs> the scene we will be talking about today is of Max Carwright. She is visiting a film of her late mother. This film is not Camp Bloodbath that she's visiting. She gets sucked into this film, such as our main characters in The Final Girls. But the film that we get sucked into is Turbo Kid. Max Carwright will be played by Ian. You've just now met your mother. Her character that she plays, yes, but looks uncanny, and it's it's... It's distracting. It's disturbing almost. Ian, oh, sorry, Bubba, Jacob, mm-hmm. you'll be playing Apple. Oh, boy. Max Cartwright's mother in real life, but in this current movie, the character of Apple. And you two have just met an Apple looking for a new friend. The friend's Max Cartwright. And scene. Mom? Oh my god, why is your hair purple? No, no, I'm not mom, I'm friend. Hi, how are you? Are you, are you a new friend of mine? Hello, as I strap a thing to your wrist. <laughs> what, what is that on your forearm? Don't worry about it, I just gotta kick a dead body over to the side real quick. <clears throat> oh my god, as I come in, I reach and I, and I hold you close. I haven't, I haven't seen you in so long, I missed you so much. What are we doing? Where are we? What is this terrible place? Why do you have a bike? Um... I don't know what you're doing, but um, 
I'm gonna play Taggart. <laughs> no, no. This is no time for fun and games, Mom. We're in the middle of a wait. Oh, okay, fine, fine. Catch me! I'm gonna get my nose stick. Thank you for not ejecting <laughs> these rejects. We love you guys. Thank you for putting up with the good and the bad. And, and the weird. And the weird. Well, and our next, our next episode after this one, we were going to be covering, I believe, one of your picks for us. Yes, but in between, we're going to do another Patreon, which is Salem's Lots. Yes. And then we are going to be doing Ghost Dog. The way of well, the samurai. Wait, hold on. But with the way it's coming out, Salem's Lot will actually be out before this episode. Uh-oh. Time travel. <laughs> Shit, I fucked with it up. With the way we record it, Salem's Lot will have come out the week before this one that they're currently listening to. Yes. So um, as this, at the point that you will be listening to this podcast, um, we in the past have not yet gotten another Patreon episode, so there might be a uh, dead week that week. We might do something different, not quite sure yet, and then we're going to do Ghost Dog, and then at that point, we're going to be heading into Spoopy Halloween and our double feature. Thank you, everyone who has voted in that. We're going to be tallying up the votes tonight as of the date that we are recording this. For you, it's going to be about a month from now or so, and then uh, probably by the time you've listened to this episode, we'll have announced that. We'll have probably already watched the films, and Got him ready to uh, rock and rollin'. Yeah, hopefully you're not confused by all that timeline folding that we just did. Oh, you know, it's not as bad as the Terminator franchise. It's fine. Oh, man. It's not Skynet anymore, is it? It's... What are they... What was the don't, stupid... Don't, don't, don't give me start on that. All right, guys. Yeah. Thank you for Goodbye. not... Thank Goodbye. you for not ejecting these rejects. Bye.